Hi, I'm Phil Parker, as it says up there. This is not a substitution. Uh, as you will be aware, if you, those of you who followed the programming, there were some last-minute changes, but we have the perfect panel now, so I'm very happy here this afternoon. Uh, with me are Anne Brogan of Kindle, Tim Clave, who's just done and finished Who Killed Nelson at Meg, and Joe Natfin from Studio Canal. Now, okay, Anne, would you like to kick off, let the audience in on to who you are? Um, hi everybody, um, I'm co-director of Kindle Entertainment and we mainly focus on creating drama for kids and family and young adult audiences. We usually work in television much more than film, we've created one film for um, young adults which uh, was shown on the, it was an art house um, film and um, it wasn't ever really intended for wide release. It got shown at a number of film festivals. Um, and we have three feature films, family feature films in development. And when Phil asked me to be on this panel, I hesitated to begin with because I said, but you know, don't you actually want someone who's managed to make a family feature film rather than me? And um, uh, and Phil assured me that actually the process of trying to get one financed and made was probably just as interesting for you all as actually achieving it. And then, and you don't actually have to feel jealous of what I've made. Yeah. <laughs> so, We're all in the same boat. so that's me. So that gives you some flavour of all the work that Anne's been involved in, which I'm sure many of you are very much aware of. Now we're going to move into a completely different territory, which is Tim's territory. <laughs> well, not as good, you mean. No, That's no, mean, no, but, just right. no, no one will have seen this. Uh, no, this is exactly. completely fresh. No, this is all, yeah, this is, this is uh, new. So uh, my background is, you know, as a writer and director, corporates, commercials, I was coming up from that way, tried to get a few projects off the ground that didn't really happen. And then uh, I hooked up with my colleague Danny Stack here that we do UK Scriptwriters podcast together. And while we were doing one of those, I said, you know, you've got a good reputation in kids' TV. You know, I want to make a micro-budget film. Let's smash those two things together and do a no-budget children's movie, <laughs> which is what we've made, called uh, Who Killed Nelson Nutmeg? And, um, yeah, then we kind of got together our, our colleagues and chums that we've met, people like Jan Caston, who's in the audience as well, came on board, another writer-producer, and we did a Kickstarter and funded it that way, Phil. So, um, We'll you know, go into more detail on Can be done, yeah. Can be done. Can be done. Can be done. And finally, we have Joan Upflin, who's kindly come up from Studio Canal, one of the major distributors in the UK and globally, um, to talk and I'll let Joe introduce himself and see what we do. Hi everyone, I'm the development executive at Studio Canal. Studio Canal is a, a French-owned, European-based film financier and distributor of feature films. Um, we've got direct distribution in the UK, France, Germany and Australia New Zealand. Each territory releases about 30 films a year. Um, amongst those 30 films, um, I'd say, roughly speaking, 10 to 15 of them are films that we represent the international rights on as well. Um, and certainly the ambition for those, I'd say, again, 10 to 15 films every year is for us to finance those films, often fully financing those films. Um, in terms of the kinds of films we get involved with, there is um, a very wide variety. 
Um, on the larger end, uh, bigger budget side of things, uh, recently we fully financed uh, Nonstop, starring Liam Neeson, uh, Paddington, directed by Paul King. Um, and you know, on the slightly lower budget side of things, we, um, we financed the Alan Partridge film, Alpha Papa. Um, we, uh, um, you know, we are involved in everything from Macbeth, which we, again, we fully financed to the Coen Brothers film, Inside Lewin Davis. Okay. It's a very wide variety, but I'd say uh, family entertainment in general has become a big priority for the film in recent years. Um, and a few years ago, we established a partnership with a French-Belgian um, producer called Ben Stassen, who runs a company called N-Wave. Mm -hmm. um, and we've, since then, we've made a few films with him, um, all of which we've fully financed, released across all of our territories and sold the international rights on. Um, and more recently, um, we've got involved in Paddington, which we fully financed, and even more recently, Shaun the Sheep. Now, clearly, having those two big films come out in the last 12 months since we last had a session here at CMC, you know, things look brighter at one level. You know, there are a bit, two big films that have come out, thanks mm -hmm. to Joe and other people. Um, you know, we've got that. But I want to go back to the beginning again now. How does all this sort of process start? Because both of those were adaptations of existing franchises, which is partly where the title of the session comes from, the adapt bit. For those who are trying to look for the explanation of the kill bit, it's in Who Killed Nelson Nutmeg. Um, I didn't pick that up. But, <laughs> but we'll come, let's start with Anne, because she's in the same position that uh, Dave Stroxon was here last year, working on a film from an existing franchise, building up projects, etc. So, Anne, you talk us through that project. Because you started in TV and you've got this massive track record behind you. What's happened in this last 18 months when you've entered into film? Um, well, I think the, the, the first thing to say is that all, all three family films that we have in development are adaptations of existing IP. And we decided to go that route for just for the very practical reason that um, you're working on something that people generally already have some knowledge of. And also there's, it's also there's proof that the audience, whether it's the kids or the adults in the audience, connect with this material and therefore that it will offer them something that already has a degree of a brand value to it. Um, I think although I knew with my head how different developing um, feature film would be to developing television, I hadn't I hadn't experienced it, and there's a really big difference between knowing something with your head and knowing something with your heart. And I was trying to think of some analogies, really, to um, explain the difference from my point of view. And I think the biggest, I mean, I'll come back to the development in, the big, in, in a moment, but I think the biggest for me is in putting the financing together. And, um, you know, I'm sure we're all aware of how hard it is to put television financing together and much harder now than it was even three, four, five years ago. But I think with television financing, it does feel that once you've got your first major piece, you are then building a tower of different bits. And some of those bits may swap in and out, but essentially you are building upwards. It's like Lego, whereas Putting the financing together for a feature film feels much more like a game of giant Jenga. You know, any moment you can pull out any piece and the whole tower will come toppling down. Um, 
and and so the the difficulty of not having one piece that becomes your your cornerstone that you can build on makes the whole endeavor much more challenging and i think that requires a huge amount more determination than um, financing television does and you know I'm not saying that doesn't require a lot of determination just that film is exponentially more so. Indeed. Now do you want to talk us through White Boots and how that's progressed and where you um, are with all of that? Yes yeah, so White, White Boots is um, one of our pieces of development and it's um, from the book by Noel Stretfield um, which some of you may have read as a child. I mean it's certainly a book that's been in print since I think it's 1953 um, and Noel Stretfield was and remains a very popular author and an author whose books are lent from the library still. Her, probably her best known title is Ballet Shoes which was a BBC One um, television film a few years ago but what really attracted us to White Boots is that essentially it's a, it's a much simpler and much better story for film storytelling because it's essentially an ugly duckling story so little Harriet there's two girls I'll just praise it for you um, actually it'd be interesting to know how many people are familiar with the story anyway Would we'll just raise hand. your hand if you did read mm -hmm. it it's quite interesting Ooh. to see how many so not that many people. You all obviously have misspent childhoods. So <laughs> spend them in the library like me. Um, so it, it's the story of two girls, uh, and friendship is very much at the heart of it in the way that friendship was very much at, at the heart of Frozen. Um, and uh, so the two girls, Harriet and Lala, are very opposites. Uh, Lala is, she has been skating since she was three years old. She was first taken to the rink in a tiny little white dress when she would, she could ba barely walk. Uh, and all her life, up until the age of 13, she's been encouraged to be a skating star. But what her, her in the storybook, it's her aunt, but actually in our film it's her um, her grandmother Lady Claudia and I'll come back to why we made that change later her grandmother uh, um, her Lady Claudia wants little Lala to fulfill the shoes that her son she thought her son was going to be in her life and Lala's father was tragically killed in a skating accident uh, when Lala was just a, a tiny baby in a pram so Lala from Harriet's point of view, lives the life of a perfect princess. She looks like a princess, she skates like a princess. Um, it's as if the spotlight is always on her. Harriet, um, in contrast, was uh, had TB as a tiny child, so spent, spent much of her early years in a sanatorium and um, consequently has stick thin little legs and so somebody says to her to the family she should um, she should do ice skating to strengthen her legs Harriet goes to the rink and she immediately falls in love with the whole idea of ice skating and she falls in love with Lala who she sees skating over the other side of the rink 
Harriet's first trip to the rink, she's given these ugly little brown boots and she sees Lala's white boots and her goal in her life is to have a pair of white boots, which eventually she does get. But in the course of getting the white boots, the friendship that has bonded Lala and Harriet together is broken apart and so Harriet gains the thing she thinks her heart wants but she loses the thing that her heart wants even more and Lala likewise realises that she's lost friendship that's actually made her life worth living because the ice skating doesn't. I'm all the adults around them's lives have changed as well so Lady Claudia is I won't go into what the, there's a the great big yeah, accident, yeah, yeah. but there's a great big accident which makes everyone see the world differently. And Lady Claudia sees that actually she does love her granddaughter and that her love for her granddaughter is far more important than her granddaughter filling the steps, uh, the footsteps of her dead son. So it, it's, um, it's a really classic story um, with very big themes at its heart, the themes of friendship, the themes of love, the themes of becoming the person you really are rather than the, the person the adults around you want you to be and likewise for the adults it's part of realising that you can't make your children the person you want them to be, you have to give them the space to be themselves. So. The, all of those themes felt to us to be to make the perfect story for a classic feature film. Now, at that time, Frozen um, hadn't been released because this has been this has been uh, it's, this has actually been in development for six years. Okay, tell, tell, take us through what's actually. I mean, not in detail, obviously, but I mean, how much of that time has been spent in like developing the script? How much time trying to put the finance together in the cast and the director? I mean, how is that broken down over that six years? Well, for for the first um, couple of years, we were developing it as a television. Film. So that would have gone to BBC or... Yes, or uh, but um, the opportunities to get a single on British television are so, so minuscule. You know, there's, there's maybe one, two opportunities a year. Yeah, yeah. So um, we decided to that we would put the television script that we'd worked for two years on to one side and rethink it as a television as a film, yeah. as a feature film. Um, and so we we really we didn't go back to a blank page but we went back to the script with the question what is it that would bring people bring families into a cinema to watch this what would it offer them emotionally how would it unite them how would it leave make them leave the cinema feeling better than they came in and then on a very practical level what could we do to give the uh, the film uh, the kind of um, cachet that would bring people in and that was the reason for changing the aunt into um, a grandmother and a lady because you know as you all know we've got some uh, fantastic older British actresses who are, have real box office cachet but also we wanted to push the two families further apart in terms of class so that there was more visual contrast um, and there was more dramatic conflict between them. So you'd spent two years on TV script, you spent another two years on the feature script on the feature and then thinking script. reshaping that as a feature yeah. piece. Yes. 
when did it have a director step in? Um, so, well, the director was unusually in this instance, which isn't the case with our other pieces mm. of development, um, which I can talk about later because it's it is you know if if people are interested, it's it is an example of how difficult it is attaching a director and then they get offered something from a studio and then they're deattached and so on. But uh, um, in this instance, our director was attached from the very beginning and although she doesn't have a feature film track record, I so absolutely believe in her abilities as a director, both to get great performances out of young kids and to deliver something that is visually really, really exciting, um, we decided to stick with her, and, and that isn't easy in terms of financing. No, it isn't, absolutely not. In terms of the financing, where are you now, just so we've got a picture of where we are six years on? So we're, we're just at beginning to go out to uh, people now, um, and I would say the challenges that we're facing are that our director doesn't have a proven track record. There's very few family feature film Being made. UK directors who do have a proven track record. Um, uh, uh, so, you know, e even if we hadn't absolutely believed in her, it wouldn't have been an easy job finding a director in any case. Um, so our director is unknown and, um, and our track record is we've only made one feature film. So although we have this um, you know, very substantial track record in creating television singles that really work for the f work outstandingly well for the family audience it, it's still quite a challenge um, it, convincing people that we have the knowledge the production ability the scale and the ambition that understanding of film ambition to make a feature film absolutely no and that is definitely in, that's the territory that most people are finding themselves in but Tim and his team went a completely different route. <laughs> I can't, um, yeah, life's too short, Phil. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I haven't got time for that. I mean, I've done, you know. You've been I've, there. I've been, You've I've, been there. I've been, been there been with projects there. that didn't, uh, yeah, exactly. And uh, I mean, you know, time might run out, so I'll say it now because, you know, we're not sure when, you know, how long we've got. But just do it. That, if I say anything, I'm just going to say that, which is just like, just make it. I mean, who, let's do a hands up, hands up who thinks there should be more children's films made. Okay, great. So that's 80%. And again, that's approval everyone in the room. Right, hands up who's a creative person in some form. Well, then let's just get on with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's just go because, on that basis. Yeah, 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 because there's people that want to make stuff. And there's people that think that should be made. Yeah. Uh, everything else is just business and bits and bobs right. that I really haven't got time for dealing with. Okay, that, that's, that sounds grand in the grand plan of things. Now you need to talk us in the way that Anne has. Okay. What the actual process All was. Right. So <laughs> I, I will. I will. Uh, and I'll be honest about it. Uh, please. And I shall mention figures. Uh, don't listen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is off the record. Let's be clear. Millions we spent on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We need to, uh. You need to help us recoup that. But anyway, um, no, what happened was about, uh, like I said, you know, we just sat and said we want to do it. And that was around sort of no, November time, I suppose, um, 2013 or so, so like that. And then we ended up shooting it summer last year. Yeah. 
So that was our six month development time, including casting and finding the location. Um, then we shot it kind of end of the summer. Uh, and then since then we've been editing it and doing bits and bobs. So quite quite quick and financing wise, Phil, which yeah. is the other thing people want to know about. Um, I mean, I've, I've sort of grown up, if you like, in a low budget filmmaking environment. So I've never had anything anyway. No. <laughs> um, and I think if you find a story that's uh, non-period, you know, is contemporary, set in one location, um, you don't need that much you know in a way because I mean we shot that on a you know 4k mm. with you know some okay lenses and everything but I bought the 4k camera myself it's not yeah. expensive you know mm. so um, there's no barrier technically to just cracking on with it um, so we financed it um, we put our own money in first mm. which is something you're told never to do but we did because then we felt we could if we ever asking any people anyone for money for it we could say you know, we've put in everything we can ourselves. So we started with that. Um, then we did a Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. um, How so much was the Kickstarter for? 13,000, yeah. but we ended up with 14 and a half or so. Yeah. So not massive amount of money, but that's about as much as we could have got really from podcast listeners and other people that have followed us over the years. And some random people we didn't really know, you know. Um, and then we got some private investment and that become easier and easier to get as the thing progressed. Mm. So we've needed some stuff, because it's going to have a proper score, live orchestra score and everything, but that was easier to get that because now we can show people the film, mm. you know, without music and say they need a bit of help here. <laughs> uh, that's a much easier conversation to, to, to have. And what we found was just start everything as soon as possible. Mm. So start today, start casting today, start writing today, start finding locations today because the further you are on all those things, the easier it is for people to jump on board because you can say, we've got somewhere to film it because that doesn't cost any money to find your location, does it? You know, just go and speak to people, can we film here? And they say, yes. Yeah. So you go, oh, we've got our location sorted. We've got our car sorted. We've got our script sorted. Do you want to join in? And they go, all right then. <laughs> can I take you back through that just a second? Because in our conversation, I remember one of the key things, and this is crucial for those who look at the micro-budget space, um, and there are a lot of people in this space now, not in children's film, it has to be said. I mean, in the sense that all of you who put your hands up want to make see more children's film, there's a strong argument for going, well, look, you know, micro's done it in certain areas. Perhaps we can actually kickstart something here. But there are some real parameters to be brought into mind there. First off, you started with the location. Yeah, pretty much. That we had an idea. Yeah. We had an idea, and we didn't have a script, but no. we, did, we found the location, and then we wrote the script. Exactly. So it's about you know, finding the location that you can yeah. afford that's going to be yours for free, and then you work the idea and the story up around that location. But think about the title of the Peace. session. Yeah. yeah which is you know, about adaptation. Mm. You have to be doing it with your own IP. Yeah. So the downside to it is, no one's heard of Nelson Nutmeg and doesn't know what it is. That's the downside to yeah. it. Plus side is, we haven't got to license and adapt anything, or we've, you know, we can do what, plus we can be flexible and change it. Yeah. Um, so the fact that, um, what was it Danny, Savvy Squirrel or something? Charlie Chipmunk. Charlie Chipmunk. As, uh, which we started with is, is already a toy in America so isn't a problem, we just change it to that we do what we want because yeah, yeah. it's our thing and then we own our thing as well at the end if it is successful, it's not like well some publisher of the books gets rich mm. you know, we own, we own it we yeah. own it all uh, 
but obviously we've got a massive uphill struggle with getting people on board to check it out because they've not heard of it and no. they've not heard of us but we've done it cheap so we, we only need to we don't need to get back as much as Paddington needs to just to cover the, <laughs> just to cover the sandwich bill of the 3D graphics guys you know yeah. that's our probably our budget yeah. for the whole film you know so nice. there's pros and cons there's no, no one way there's no one there's no one way but at the same time we'll have done the film in under two years yeah from scratch. Finish, yeah. And obviously that's partly because also you're writers and you've got that yeah. track record you can actually put a script together and you've, you have faith in storytelling. Yes, that's right. Which is crucial to both sides of this debate. As that's right. Covering. That's right. Now, Joe, yeah. you picked up Sean the Sheep, did Paddington, yes. the whole scene. Talk us through, because I think most people in this room probably don't know actually what distributors sure. really do sure. and well, how say, you get involved I in say, you know, we're, you know, distribution is the key part of our business. Actually, financing is also a big part of our business as well. Um, we, now, as I said, we release about 30 films a year. We finance up to about 15 films a year, often fully financing those films. Now, I work on the development side of things. So that's everything from um, advising on you know, generating original ideas, advising on projects or properties that the company may want to acquire, um, developing those projects through the creative process, both development and production and post-production. Um, and, um, and that's really where my kind of role finishes. The moment the film is finished, then it kind of... Goes to marketing. Is, well, it would already be in the hands yeah. of marketing, but it's really, you know, it's up to the theatrical guys to kind of take that forward and bring that to its audience. Now we're, um, you know, we're an international business. Um, I'm based, you know, in the UK office. A lot of the projects that I work on are international projects in the sense that the ambition for them is to work across all of our territories and beyond, but they're generally generated out of the UK. Mm. Um, and you know, Studio Canal as a business has identified, you know, what they feel is a very big and exciting commercial opportunity for producers out there to be making family films out of UK and Europe with absolute global appeal. Um, and you know, the success of Paddington, the success of Sean the Sheep, we hope is, you know, illustrative of what can be achieved. Um, obviously, there are challenges to that, and you've all. You know, mentioned <laughs> what some of those are, um, but um, you know we you know we remain kind of optimistic um, that there is an audience out there that is uh, underserved, yeah. um, looking for European product, yeah. um, and we feel very well placed to tell that for a number of reasons. In that sense, I mean, I mean, this audience mm -hmm. shot their hands up saying we want more. Sure. Not surprising, mm -hmm. and, and Sean and Paddington have done reasonably well. Yeah. I mean. In terms of global box office, mm. can you just give us the top figures? Or do you have those to hand um, on those two? So, so Paddington's at you know almost at the end of its yeah, run. Now, run. Yeah. yeah, you know it may who knows it may, it may, still do it, may it may go on more. Um, but it's done I think in the region of two hundred and sixty million dollars worldwide. Yeah, um, from a budget production budget um, of roughly sixty million dollars. Mm. Um, obviously, you know, there's marketing spend and in between that and yeah, everything yeah. in between that, but, um, you know, that's, that's a, you know, hugely profitable. It's a good place uh, to be. Both commercially successful and critically successful um, film. Sean, uh, 
Sean, I believe, um, is at around $70 million worldwide at the moment. Right. Um, and did 20 in the UK. UK. Yep. Yeah, that's cool. And so if you're looking at a new project mm. that's coming in, yes. what, what are the criteria? What are you looking um, for? We're looking for, you know, essentially in all, in all the films we're looking for, we're looking for a great story. I think first and foremost, story comes first. Um, beyond that, an appealing concept. Mm. Um, you know, and within an appealing concept, one has to think about, uh, one has to think about whether there is a, you know, a property or, a, you know, some un underlying IP that can help make that concept of that film feel appealing to, you know, say a family who is sitting at home they're wondering what they're going to do on their Saturday night, and they're looking through all, you know, they're looking through the newspaper, and they're going through all of the movies that DreamWorks have out. They're looking at all the, the movies Disney that Pixar have, or yeah, Dix, exactly. uh, Disney have out, and they're wondering what do we go and see. And you know, we start certainly with family films. We start from a place of we don't have a hundred million dollars to spend on our movies, but. Um, what you know what we do feel we have here is um, you know some of the world's best talent both in front of and behind the camera we have a huge heritage of um, you know children's literary material and um, you know general kind of British cultural IP be it uh, you know, historical icons or landmarks or games or you know we've got a you know a huge kind of mine um, to kind of source through um, that can lend themselves to you know film adaptation um, be it directly or indirectly um, and we generally start from a place of um, how can we why should we be making why should we be making this story um, what how can we tell this story in the best possible way that it can resonate both with all of our territories within our group, but also globally, okay. um, and make sense within its budget parameters. Okay. Now, you've had two of the biggest successes of family films in the last 12 months, mm. but as we all know, there's not a lot, there's a lot, you know, it's a desert pretty much beyond that at the moment. Can, how much of an expansion do you think there really is for children's films in the UK at the moment? Because you've had these two big successes, mm -hmm. clearly Studio Canal are going to keep plowing that on. Yeah. But do you think that other people, other production companies, other distributors are moving in that direction or do you think you're pretty much out there on your own at the moment? Certainly producers are moving in that direction and you right. know, we're, we're, you know, we're hopefully, hopefully the message is coming it's across that we're you know, open for business for family films um, at the moment. And um, you know, it's worth me also saying that you know, whilst we develop films, we finance films, we release films, we sell the international rights of films, we don't physically produce them. We always work with third-party producers. So, you know, as much as we, you know, generate ideas internally, we're always going to need to place them with producers, and we're also looking for producers to bring us projects. And you know, Paddington and both Sean were examples of producers bringing us projects. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so, um, so certainly on the producing side of things, absolutely, and. And yeah, in terms of, um, you know, in terms of financing, in terms of distribution, I think, uh, yes, absolutely, our competitors will be looking um, at this space, I think, with more interest as a result of the commercial success of these two films. That's generally how, That's you know, the business, the business works. works. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. 
One last quick question. Mm. What's the biggest problem of getting a UK family film actually out into the market? What's the, the hurdles you think stand in the way um, of doing that? Well, there's, there's several. There's, as I kind of mentioned before, mm. there's competition from the studios who have a huge amount, you know, they've got huge budgets, um, which many UK producers working outside the Hollywood system can't afford. Um, they have huge marketing spend. A lot of these studios spend upwards of three million pounds per release. Um, the whilst whilst family films may be considered by the exhibitors here in the UK as one of the genres that is most um, you know least saturated. Mm. I think it's probably the best way of putting it. Um, it's it's still in, extremely competitive to find the right slot. Um, you know, you will traditionally want to release a family film over the holiday period, and there's only so many weeks in the year that you can do so to have real full impact with your film in that space. So, um, and the Hollywood studios are, you know, dating those films three or four years in advance often. So you need to be incredibly aggressive about getting your getting your date sorted, um, but also feeling confident enough in the film that you have that you can hold firm on that date um, because you know they're not going to hold any prisoners they're going to if they want your date they're going to they're, they're going to come, come after, after it, it. Yeah, exactly yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know and that's something you know we held our own on Paddington mm. um, and you know we beat out the likes of um, you know Penguins of Madagascar mm. uh, Annie mm. uh, Night at the Museum of Three they were, none of them were released I think one of them was, was released on our date, yeah. but they were all released within, you know, two weeks or a week of our release. Um, and you know, obviously, we asked ourselves in that at that point, you know, looking at the you know the multi millions, um, you know, I don't think even in some cases billions that some of those franchises have grossed. Um, you know, are we doing the right thing there? But you know, we decided to stick with it, and it and it worked. It worked. So I would hope, you know. There is some, you know, there is there, is, there, is, there is hope for, there is absolutely hope for, for British family films. Cool. Yeah. Now I'm going to throw it out to you guys now. Mm. Um, I, I think there's enough there for you to get your teeth into. Mm. Uh, quick questions from the floor. Person down the front here. <laughs> Unbelievable. Hello. Uh, my name's Alex. Uh, I've, I've come from Newcastle. Uh, we have a little uh, 2D animation mm. studio called Arcus, and there's only five of us. So in, in terms of like, we, um, we're not a, a big gun by any, yeah. by any means, but I'm finding all this really interesting. Um, when you were talking there about um, your, with, with Studio Canal, it's mm. all very family focused things. Um, mm. One thing that I was thinking of is um, throughout all this was um, 2D animation in, uh, in British films mm. is something that's, that's pretty, pretty rare. Mm -hmm. um, one of my favourite films, I don't know if you've heard of it, is a, a film called Persepolis. Yeah, of course. It's yeah, a, we actually we actually released it. Oh, well, Optimum <laughs> releasing, which is formerly it's, it's amazing. Studio Canal yeah. UK it's, released it. When mm. I tell someone about this film who mm. hasn't heard of it, it the niche goes down and down yeah. and down. It's two D. It's yes. black and white. Yes. It's by, made by an Iranian woman. Yes. Who's, and it's in French. <laughs> sure. So people are like, right, <laughs> don't think I'll yeah. see that on a, on a Saturday. Yeah. But. I think it's great. Um, yeah, we, we found we found an audience made. with it. I'm not. Sh I couldn't tell you off the well, top of my. Yeah, but uh, um, but it, we found an audience. You know, it found an audience. It's certainly considered a success of the company. That's what I was hoping you were going to say yeah. because I would I would love to see, um, and you know, in, mm. be involved in a, a Persepolis of mm. 
of England, Britain. Uh, is that something you can see happening, or is it just, is it, you know, they need to be guns and explosions and 3D and, you know, because Persepolis was black and white, it's yeah. about the, the war in Iran. It's, yeah. it's not like, let's go see a film about a cute bear. Um, sure. So it's, it's quite tough. <laughs> yeah, I would think there's absolutely an audience for, for that film. Um, I would say that that's not a kind of in that's not a family no, film not a necessarily family film, in the kind of no, no. purest sense of yeah. the word, I guess. Um, you know, we although I, I wasn't actually at the company at the time, we targeted the marketing of that film towards you know adults, um, and um, you know, and it and it worked. You know, so um, <coughs> no, absolutely. But I think. So it's, it's still something someone can approach you with without yeah. you thinking like this. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think so. Um, absolutely. I think you know it all starts as I said before. It all starts with a great, great story. Often, you know, I think, you know, where where I'd say we are doing the where we are getting in the earliest on mm. projects is on the most kind of mainstream, global, you know, mainstream global facing propositions. Absolutely. Um, and it's it's. You know, it's harder for us because there is more risk, I guess, to get involved in the smaller, more specialised films at an early point of view. Um, but we'd absolutely want to, you know, if you had the next Persopolis, we'd absolutely want to hear about it. it. This question over here. Hi there. Um, I'm Martin. I'm from Leeds Young Film Festival. Uh, so we have a lot of kind of interest in this, given that uh, we're very much about exhibition of children's film. Mm. Um, kind of two-part question, part for Tim and part for Joe. Sorry, Al. Um, Tim, I was going to say, given that um, you've, you've made your film, you're now up against films like um, Paddington for um, exhibition uh, for, on theatrical circuit. How do you see the future of the film um, theatrically? Do you think it does have a home? Do you hope to see it in theatres? And how do you plan to compete against... Um, those you know, huge blockbusters, even like Minions, which we know is now the um, best-selling animated film in the UK ever. Um, and then the flip side of that to Mujo um, is mm. you were talking about um, films with existing IP. Um, is there a danger then that we're only looking backwards and um, all the films that are being made for families are those that already uh, are existing in books, um, sequels, uh, TV series? You know, you look back to what I consider to be the kind of heyday of family films. Mm. About the 80s, you have things like Back to the Future, you have Goonies, you have Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. None of those are based on existing IP and yet turn out to be huge, huge successes. So, sure. I'll do my bit then. Um, uh, l- very limited theatrical, I think, is how we describe our ambition because we're you know, uh, bravely naive is how we describe ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. So we're up, we're up for doing wacky stuff and giving it a go, um, but sometimes we don't know the full picture, but that's something we sort of do know a bit about. We've got no chance competing again. I mean, you say you've got not much budget for, like, marketing. This is our marketing spend. We're doing it right <laughs> Driving up to Sheffield, yeah, we've got nothing. So we can't, we can't, we can't compete with those guys really at all, but of course, there are specialist ways to get your film out there. So, you know, if we can, if we, we'd be really happy if we can sneak into a Saturday morning kids club kind of thing, um, or other specialist screening opportunities. We'll slide in there, um, and that would be the limit, really, probably, pretty much of our theatrical um, release. And the reason that we 
we've always gone for that is uh, out of a sort of um, solidarity, I suppose, with poor, hard-up parents. Because you know, if you if you mum, dad, and two kids go to the flicks, that's a dear old do. You know, that's a that's that. But if you can all sit at home and watch Nelson Nutmeg download for a few quid then that's a that's we, we've got a chance mm. because all right you haven't heard of it but you could watch that trailer and think I'll, 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 I'll take a chance for 199 mm. and if the kids like it they can watch it as many times as they want that's our home really mm. for it and because we've done it low budget even with just that method we can recoup it but we want some sort of theatrical thing because one it's exciting on the big screen mm. and two obviously it helps mm. in the marketing and the promotion of it and you know reviews mm. and that kind of stuff it, it does indeed and also one thing you've completely left out of the picture is it could be bought by a tv channel oh totally yeah you know it could go out on the yeah. bbc or channel four or sky yeah, totally. you, know, you know that's you know that sort of film really could fit into that space mm. quite easily oh to- i mean that's the m- Majority of the conversations actually fail at the minute. Good. When we took is, is about. Well, let's not give any secrets away. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and to answer your question, uh, yes, I do. I do think that we are. You know, it is a concern that we are that the films that are working in the market are those that are that rely on you know established pre-existing IP, um, and I would hope that things, you know, change. Change. Yeah. Um, but at the moment, you know, it looks it looks like that's what the market wants, um, and that's you know, the studios who dominate the market will continue to respond to what people you know are paying to go and see. Um, However, the point being is that there was an era when original work, work actually worked. And one yeah. suspects sure. it's more about people well, going down the adaptation route internally I w- I w- I would and not offering change. not yeah. offering things. Sure. Other questions out here? Yes, here. I question aimed partly at Anne and partly at, um, at uh, Joe. Um, one of the things that I found with uh, sorry, Bob Thompson Good Story Productions, um, one of the things that I found raising money for feature films is that you go and see a lot of the distributors and the response that you get is, it's really great, we love your project, we're really interested in seeing it, mm. can you come and show us the first 20 minutes? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I would be interested to find out if Anne's had exactly the same experience, mm. but with animated films, mm-hmm. you've already spent three or four million pounds yeah. to get the first 20 minutes out the door, mm-hmm. which is you know, not very practical from an indie perspective. Sure. Do, you, do you see that, and have you experienced that live action, and I guess uh, for Joe, yeah. is that something, yeah, is there a solution to that? Come across here. Yeah. Um, do you want to? Yeah, I, I mean, I certainly have experienced that, and I, I, I think usually, really, it's a way of saying no without closing the door, because no distributor wants to have been the person to say no on a film that then goes on to make a lot of money. So, mm-hmm. um, to be frank, when I get that response, I'll make a note and file it away just in case it's useful, but I don't interpret that as, oh, that's quite positive, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the reverse. <laughs> um, you know, I think running, running a business is all about taking chances, it's all about mitigating risk, and that's just one way that you can you know, mitigate risk. I would say to your response, though, that you know, we have acquired lots of films off the basis of the first 20 minutes of films or for promo. Um, it's just another, um, you know, it's another tool that we can use to help us, uh, you know, assess the value of a film. Um, and 
yeah, we are, you know, conscious, I am conscious that, you know, it's, it's very difficult for producers to get the level of finance they need to get that first 20 minutes together. Um, and, you know, I don't, I don't have, a, I'm afraid I don't have the solution to it. Other than following Tim's lead. There's a question in the middle of the back here. Hi, Becky Perry, um, University of Leeds. Um, slightly in danger of um, saying the same question that our band's asked in this session for the last two or three years when we've held a session about film. Um, it's always fantastic to hear about projects actually getting off the ground and getting developed though, so that's definitely, we're, we're moving away from just even barren hoping in a barren territory, so that's um, very exciting. Um, I do feel there's a panel member missing, um, which would be somebody representing the British Film Institute, who obviously have the remit to um, to be here and listening to this debate and thinking about the ways in which they could better support um, these agendas. Um, and I and I wonder if we should still be continuing. Um, I think last year we had a, a member from the BFR here, um, and a, a report was mentioned, which I have tried to. Um, have have sight of, which would talk about the policy in relation to film production for children. Mm. I think we have clear pr policy um, for children's film education. Um, whilst we may not be entirely happy with it, we have it. Um, and, and the dots are not connected with policy in relation to children's film production, and they need to be. Um, so I'm, I guess I'm making a, a general point and would be interested in what the panellists have to say um, in response to... Um, you know, what they see as the role for the BFI in helping connect up um, policy and, and making sure that the, the offer for children is seen holistically rather than in these separate pockets. And actually woeful that the BFI um, aren't here to um, to comment on this situation and be doing that lobbying of Ed Vasey while he's here um, to help make that decision on the way up from the train station that might then make an initiative. <laughs> Later. Mm. Yeah, no, indeed. Yeah. Okay. Very long question. I've got, uh, the, I've got a strong opinion about that, Phil. You, do you want to go down? I, I, I was going to fill in the factual bits first, but go with the strong opinion. I always like Facts. Facts. I've got an opinion. This yeah, is the internet age. This is the internet age. Yeah, it's the internet age. Um, just to fill people in who don't know what happened to that report, it did get written, did get made. It was put to the board at the BFI, as far as I'm aware, at the end of last year. As it's an internal document, never been published. Um, and to the best of my knowledge, when I followed up prior to this session, because obviously I talked to the people who were here last year and those around them, um, there's a sort of view that, yeah, they're conscious of it, but frankly, we're back to where we were last year. We need to lobby like crazy. You know, I mean, there's a simple truth of that. We need to lobby like crazy still. Um, and we need other players in the space, like the broadcasters, some of the bigger producers and distributors, mm. actually to get on this case and go, look, you are the British Film Institute. It says in your name, British Film Institute, you know, children's market is huge. What are you doing? And I think yeah. that's down to everybody. That would yeah. be my view. And have a view on this? Right, I want to hear. Tim, I want to hear. Tim, go for it. Okay. We didn't bother. With the VFI. <laughs> even bother. No, but that was our mistake. So um, I'm on both sides of the argument. We started off by saying, well, we don't want to get drawn into long discussions and form filling for months. We need to, we just want to film it. But once we started doing it, Justin Johnson at the BFI. The guy who was uh, here last year. Great. He's been really backing us. <coughs> so, I mean, just in what he can do. Mm. So we gave him the, our leaflets and he took them to Berlin and he handed them out. And we know he handed them out because people have emailed us to say, Justin, 
gave me your leaflet and said you're good guys. So I think in terms of, you know, it's also about giving the BFI things to help them lobby for us. I mean, the point is we can't all sit here and go, the BFI ought to be provide, you know, helping us make more children's films. They're going to look at us and go, you're the filmmakers, where's the stuff we can back? You know, where's the stuff we can get behind? And things are changing. Uh, Pete's here, so Pete, where's Pete? Pete's there. Mm. Pete's got some funding from uh, not for BFI, it's the it's Creative England and BFI joint effort, mm. joint effort. For, for a children's short. Mm. And he's got, you know, it's a nice bit of money. Mm. It's happening. Yeah, you know, it is happening. That things are changing. Things are moving. Yeah, things are. I wouldn't dispute that. Things are moving. Yeah, definitely. It's good. It's good. But there is there's more moves to be made. Mm -hmm. Anybody else want to come back on that? Are you both okay? Because I'm just going to cram in another quick question if I can. Uh, yeah, um, I've got a question for Anne actually with your film development stuff. Uh, the reason why family films, you know, the big budget films work, these studio films, is because they throw money at development. You know, they'll have 20 writers or 30 writers and go through draft after draft. And for someone like you who's such a successful TV producer, you're now putting money into film development. Are you going to outside sources or is it all your own money? And at what point do you say, I can't do this anymore? <laughs> um, we, we have had BFI funding on all, all three film developments, but that certainly doesn't fund all of the development. Um, so the rest of the money we've put in, and that's um, a substantial amount of money. And I, I think you're absolutely right that it is, you do need to recognise given Tim's put Tim's experience on one side but my my experience is that in order to get a script to to the point where it needs to be to be both creatively successful tell a, a really strong story and be commercially have commercial potential is really really hard and most UK writers don't have a great deal of experience of doing that most UK producers don't have a great deal of experience of doing that so it requires a tremendous amount of effort and it does often require going to more than one writer which again I think those of us who work in television don't we don't do that very often we don't move on to another writer and another writer uh, in, in order to take the script to a, a further level. So that requires both money and a change of mindset. Okay, I'm afraid we are going to have to wrap it there because we've actually sadly run out of time. I, mean, I know there's a few other questions lurking around the room. I'd like us to thank Anne, Tim and Joe. <laughs>